Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Three cast albums you can't live without. Dream Girls, for obvious reasons. Obvi. The, for obvious reasons, the original. <laughs> um, actually, this is Phantom of the Opera. <gasps> I love I'm that big, answer. Yeah, I'm a big fan of, of the music. The Wiz. That's awesome. Yeah, The Wiz. Have you done The Wiz? I mean, you had to. Have I have it. not. I know. Crazy. I have not done The Wiz. That seems full on criminal. Yeah. Okay. Favorite thing to eat after a performance? Ooh. Oh, you, you make me choose one thing. <laughs> like, that's so crazy. I would have to say a good burger. Okay. A good burger. I totally get that. Good burger. Absolutely. Not a, just a janky burger, but a good burger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No McDonald's drive through No, We're no, no, no. Like a really good burger. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, we would go get some good fries. Yes. Good burgers yeah. and maybe a little cocktail. Oh, just a, just a, <laughs> just little. a little cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> okay, last question. Live performance you'll never forget as an audience member. Ooh. Ooh, there was. You, mm. See, I know there's so many. I mean, just recently, I will always remember Cynthia Arrivo in The Color Purple singing um what is her 11 o'clock number uh yes you'd help me help me beautiful yes yes i'm here i am here i'm here i am here yes when i tell you it just pierced my Mm. soul yeah that voice and yeah she she let him have it Welcome, everybody, to a musical theater podcast where we discuss the cultural and emotional impact of some of our favorite musicals in theater history. My name is Jeffrey Scott Parsons. You can call me Jeff. Today, we are talking about the musical Play On with someone who I believe to be a true musical theater legend, Miss Yvette Kassan. Yay! Oh, thank you, Jeffrey. I have to admit that I always thought your last name was pronounced Kaysen, so thank you for bringing me up to date on the That's truth. That's okay. People have added R's, Carson, Kaysen. Yeah, they just create their own thing, but Absolutely. that is how you pronounce it. Thank you. Now, you have a very deep connection to the musical Dreamgirls. I do. I came right after Jennifer Holiday left. And they were taking the show, uh, not only what would be considered another national tour, but mm-hmm. it was also an international tour, which meant we went to Japan we went, and we went to Paris. Oh, wow. So, yeah. And um, and we came back to Broadway after we did the States. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Awesome. So I was on Broadway with it. Absolutely. With it. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. And then not only were you in New York with Dreamgirls, but then you were in the film Dreamgirls, which I see the poster behind you. In which you gave birth to Beyonce. I gave birth. I could say I, I was Beyonce's mom. I know. And I'm so proud of my little girl. She's grown up to be such a wonderful talent. She got it all from you. She got it all. No, it was such a blessing. So honored. Um, you know, Dreamgirls was my first musical. You're my kidding. First, no, I'm not. It was my first musical um, out of college. And, oh, my um, gosh. I auditioned four times. 
So for those who are listening, don't stop. It is, it's a process. It's a journey. Uh, but Michael Peters and Michael Bennett kept calling me in. And uh, that fourth time, uh, they said, you're in. I don't know what, that, what it was, but it happened. And there, we, there I was rehearsing at 890 Studios, which anyone that's listening and lives in New York, they know all about 890 Studios. <laughs> the movie was sort of a 360 moment, you know. Um, only myself and Loretta Devine. And I think there were a few chorus people who were in it, the dancers who also oh, were in okay. it too. Yes. Um, which was really nice. So yeah, it was, it was wonderful. I, I just get really emotional thinking about it because Michael Bennett, I know that was his dream to make it a movie and Bill Condon, the director did an amazing job. I think that's so sweet. I've also had the privilege of seeing you on stage and you are a force of nature. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate Truly. that. I, I enjoy the stage because one, I just love the process of the theater, the whole rehearsal period, getting to really get into the, to the nuts and bolts of the scenes and, and sure. you know, with your acting partners and specific, I mean, if we're talking about musicals, because I've done plays too, and then the music brings another layer to it. I mean, I love TV and film too, don't get me wrong, but we don't have the same, yes, for the monetar- monetarily. <laughs> that money, it is, though. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's apples and oranges. But the work, for me, I'm just speaking for me, I just like the work process because we don't always have that luxury with TV or film. So, yeah, I, I, I really do. And I miss it. I'll be so glad when we can get back to stage. I mean, that's where I live. I always say it's my happy place. It really, really is. It is my happy place. When I get to the theater, it's just something about walking in that theater and standing on that stage and you just stand there and you get to see all the seats before people are in them and kind of get that energy. Mm-hmm. I just like to take in that space and, and be on that stage and have a little small moment before I start to work. It's just, it's just kind of my thing to do. I love that. There's such a hum that comes from a live audience and all sitting together, all experiencing the show. It's a, it's a beautiful thing that I am convinced is not going away. So I can't wait for it to return. Yeah. I'm with you. I don't, I don't think it's going to go away. I think people just have to get to a a place where they feel safe again Mm -hmm. and comfortable because there really is an energy, especially with live theater. You need to have people there. Yeah. You know, I know I've done that. It's just like, you're, you're just kind of on the edge of your seat Every emotion is being felt, you know, in that song. Like, that's what I was talking about with Cynthia. I'm not yeah. even kidding you. Like, I went from the back of my chair. She, by the time she finished, I was almost in the back of this woman's head. <laughs> <laughs> that was him. <laughs> that's how far I leaned up. I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, ma'am. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just, I mean, because you get transported into this, if, if it's really powerful. And that's what Jennifer Holiday did. Like, Mm. I remember seeing her in my basement in my parents' home, Entertainment Tonight, was doing some highlights of the show, and I heard this woman's voice, and I can't even tell you, I don't know what I was doing, but it stopped me. Like, I just froze, and I was like, the TV, I was like, this isn't even humanly possible. Like, (gasps) and, and then to hear, and then I had no idea that same song, I am telling you, I would be singing one day, which, by the way, is a beast of a song to sing. <laughs> like, how dare you, Andrew Krieger? <laughs> how dare you write such a, <laughs> an amazing song like that and expect <laughs> us to hold that note forever? Right. No, it was, it was. I mean, just brilliance. She, she just blew me away. Did you hear about the Dreamgirls reunion thing that happened at the Ford Theater in L.A. a couple? Oh, I did. When was that, mm-hmm. like five yeah, years I knew ago? Yeah, a few people that were, mm-hmm. So I got asked to be one of the dancers, and I was also in charge of, because, you know, at the Ford, it's outside, and they have those right. weird steps in the back yes. that, like, lead up the mountain. Right. So I was in charge of helping all the ladies down yes, the it's stairs. Yes, because dangerous. Yeah. That has given me so many memories. <laughs> I'm sure. That's all I'll say. <laughs> Is that one of those we'll talk later over, exactly. a, over a cocktail and some Exactly. Dinner? That's okay. for that's for the burger, if you okay. know what I mean. The burger, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sure everybody's thinking, why aren't you doing a Dream Girls episode? 
And here's the thing. It's because February is Black History Month. And while Dreamgirls is an incredible show, it was written by a couple of white guys, directed by a white guy, and Play On is a musical that premiered in the late 90s, directed, choreographed, written, featuring the music of, orchestrated by, starring a cast of all people of color. Yep. That is so unusual and blows my mind that it's so unusual, but so incredibly unusual in the musical theater canon. Now, being a person of color, because obviously I'm about as white as you can get, (laughs) can you talk to me about how that makes a difference to your process and particularly to this show that seems to be celebrating black artists? Well, of course, it, it makes a difference. Being, you're right, being a person of color. I, you know, as, although Henry Krieger, Tom Ian, they were white, they tapped into something, I think, very special, you mm. know, for Dreamgirls, I have to say. For sure. And, and, they, and they brought a lot of the cultural element to the show. Sure. And I would like to say or like to think that is because Michael was very smart, and I'm speaking of Michael Bennett. He was very mm-hmm. smart to surround himself. He didn't, although he was the director, and he was, he was, you know, a very, he was the kind of person like, you know, what I say is what I say, but he was smart enough to put a lot of people around him, and he took their advice. That's what I want to say. Mm, you know what I mean? He listened. Like, he listened. He listened. And with that listening, he was able to tap into what we know as this amazing show that will go on and on and on. So sure. to that point, yes, I did that. Play on, yes. It had, you know, like you said, the black director, the black writer, um, composer, cast. It that was cast, the cast was, yes. I can't and wait I to talk to you about them. It was, and I don't even know. If I was impacted the same way as I am, you know, in thinking about it in retrospect, do you know what I mean? Mm, like, yeah, like it wasn't as present. I did notice it because, you know, as we were going through, we were sitting in this rehearsal hall, rehearsal room, and I looked around the room and there was just these beautiful black actors and, and singers and, and creators. And it just, okay, you, you did feel like I'm home. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? So, um, yeah. In many ways, it seems like it was representation before there was a real conversation about what that even means in, in many ways, because we, we do talk about the importance of seeing Black artists not only on stage, but backstage and behind the table and, you know, everywhere. And, and what's interesting is in researching the show, that wasn't really part of the conversation in selling the show. No, it wasn't. And... Well, first of all, this should never have taken this long. It should have never taken this long. But as I've learned, timing is everything. Everything doesn't happen in the time that we want it. That's just life. But it does happen. And it happens because people, you know, say, wait a minute. Hello. Mm -hmm. This is not right. And we have to be honest. I mean, there's been several really impactful things that have happened this year We've had George Floyd, the Black Lives Matter, this election, you know, people just were like, I've got to say something, I've got to do something. Hopefully this isn't just a thing. This needs to be, you know, we have voices like Ava DuVernay, who said, I want to make a change in the, not just in front of the camera, but behind the camera, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, and not just for black, but for women, like there's all these different areas Speaking of Ava, weren't you in Wrinkle of Time? I was, yes. So cool. Yeah, yes, I was. So I I really think there's a timing where this is a moment where, um, and I think, was it last? No, you know, time is crazy with COVID. (laughs) It was was really two years because it just seems like it's going forever. No, but it's it's a season. Yes, it's a season. (laughs) Two years ago, or maybe a three, um, they were talking about the Oscars being yeah. so white. Oscars so white. You know, Oscars so white. And then, you know, SAG, I'm seeing, you know, they're talking about um, putting more uh, people of color, not just not just of African-Americans, but Asian, Latino, mm-hmm. Latinx people. I mean, so I just think now we're, we're at a place where we're going to see a lot of change. I see it on TV. Yeah. So um, I don't think I was in, as tuned in. Like now I would be like, yes. 
So take me through how you entered the project, because it started out in San Diego, right? Yes. Um, Sheldon Epps, who directed the show, he and I became acquainted when I did Sisterella, which was a musical I did at Pasadena Playhouse. And Sisterella was sort of my, I, I would, I call it my coming out or introduction to Los Angeles, because as we know, LA is not really a theater town. It's a film and television town. Whereas New Even York, though the theater community is huge and incredibly diverse, but so spread out and we feel isolated and kind of exactly. like the redheaded stepchild. Exactly. And, and you know, we, there's, I, I mean, there's the Pasadena Playhouse, which I've done 10 productions there, Sisterella being my first. I had no idea that I'd be doing all these, you know, I, I'm, I'm sort of like a resident, I call a resident actor there. In <laughs> um, the Geffen, Dorothy Chandler, there's all these wonderful um, places to do your work. But, you know, it's still... TV and film. So I did this show, it got so much movement. Like, I mean, everybody saw this show, everybody. And Michael Jackson was one of the producers, by the way, of wow, Sisterella. I don't think I realized. And Robert that. De Niro was a producer. Um, yeah, it was huge. So that really was like a, a nice intro for me. Sheldon was a fan, thank goodness. <laughs> and right when we finished uh, the show at Pasadena Playhouse, I was somewhere and he called and he asked, he want, he offered the job. You know, we love when we get offers. You know, straight, we don't have to audition. Straight offers. Straight offers. <laughs> yeah, he offered me Miss Mary and play on. And yeah, he said, I really would love you to take this character. And, you know, because now I'm creating, a, every actor loves when they can create a character. Like Absolutely. I did with Dahlia, when you can take it and make it pretty much your own. So that's how I came to be a part of Play On. And we, of course, you know, we went down to the Old Globe, which is an amazing theater. San Diego. Amazing. I mean, I'm still friends with a, a, quite a few of those casts. We, as a matter of fact, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, one of the cast members posted a picture we took together. It was kind Aww. of our anniversary. Yeah, it was how really sweet. special. Okay, so Sheldon Epps. The the show was kind of his creation, yeah? Yes. Mm-hmm. And from what I understand, his idea was to take the music of Duke Ellington mm-hmm. and pair it with William Shakespeare's Twelfth Night. That is and correct. the reason that he thought it would be a great combination is, you know, one of the famous quotes from Twelfth Night is, if music be the food of life, life, yes, by all means, play on. Yep. And one of the famous quotes from Duke Ellington is music is my mistress. So he's like, all right, these two are <laughs> these two are, well, are kissing great cousins. Companions. Yeah, great yeah. companions. He brought on as choreographer Mercedes Ellington, who yes. just so happens to be Duke Ellington's granddaughter. Granddaughter, right? That is right. Now, they had been longtime collaborators. They had collaborated before. So she brought with her the entire catalog of Duke Ellington music. And he, along with Mercedes and the book writer Cheryl L. West, decided how we're going to sculpt this thing. How are we going to make it work in a different setting than the original Twelfth Night story? What they came up with is the setting of the Kingdom of Harlem. Mm Mm-hmm. Great backdrop, by the way. Right? (laughs) So we're talking 1940s Harlem. There is, instead of Viola, there is a young woman coming to the city named Vi Mm -hmm. who wants to be a composer. Unfortunately, in 1940s Harlem, that's not really going to work for a female. So she gets the idea, thanks to her uncle Jester, to dress up like a dude, and then maybe she can find her in. And then, of course, we'll talk about the plot a little bit later of what continues. Now, this production premiered in San Diego. From what I understand, audiences loved it. And a few months later, premiered on Broadway. That's correct. We didn't have a long run, unfortunately. We should have. We were right across the street from The Life, which you I know you know yes, that show. And Lily, show. Lilius White, who's an amazing performer, um, they they just hit and ran. They and they had a lot of things that we we did not have. And you have to have really good marketing, which mm-hmm. was crazy because we were in New York where Harlem was. But that's another story. That's another burger story. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it 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 did get to Broadway. What's interesting is it seems that audiences loved it, critics did not, but everybody praised the cast and the energy mm-hmm. that you brought to it. Mm-hmm. Now. 
right here, I want to stop before we start talking about some of the individuals involved in the, in the show. And I found this quote from a musical theater history book, no less, wow. about Play On. And I'm just going to warn you, I find it incredibly offensive. Here we go. <laughs> okay. Many reviewers in what have become for them stereotypical reviews of black shows complained the characters were stereotypes and going further back to notices from the 20s onward saw the entertainment as stronger on pep than polish or very conventionally high-spirited and bojangles. Now, Mm. I think I can speak for everyone when I say like, what the f***? That yeah. feels like the most condescending, racially insensitive thing you could say. Mm-hmm. These black people have a lot of energy, but I sure wish they had a little more polish. Mm-hmm. What are you even talking about? Right. This musical was meant to celebrate the black artists in the same way that you did in the 1940s at the right. Cotton Club and, in yes. Harlem. Yes. So what? What? Where do you think this comes from? I mean, I this is just. I'm not looking for an actual. I think, answer, well, but like, I mean, I really think? do think it's just a lack of. Well, first of all, I never felt like we were for the you know lack of better words with people. You know, we weren't shucking and jiving. This was not mm. a shuck and jive. You know, this wasn't mm-hmm. a chitlin circuit play musical. This was all class. You have let let us just remember, you have Mercedes Ellington. Luther Henderson. I'm just going to those Luther two right there. Henderson. Luther Henderson. Orchestrator, arranger. Orchestrator, arranger who worked with Dizzy Gillespie and Duke Ellington and Ella Fitzgerald and Sarah. Like, do you know what I mean? Because, yeah. and I know this because I'm a huge Ella fan. So I have done a lot of research just yeah. with her and his name comes up and I've also read on Duke Ellington and and all of these jazz. I'm just a jazz head. <laughs> and his name is mentioned in every book. He was everyone's right hand guy. So when you review in that way, I already know you have, you have, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Ser- right. That's how I feel. Yeah. I feel you, you missed, you've missed what was done here. You missed the whole thing, you know, Sheldon, Cheryl West writing, I, which I thought was a really good book. And the performances, the performances. Yeah. No. And I, no. I, I, so I, I can't even, you know, but I don't read reviews until after the show is closed. That's Smart. just me. Smart. Because you can get in your head, whether it's good or bad. Sure. Whether it's good or bad. I just do that as a protection for myself. And I also know it's just an opinion. Yeah. An opinion that may be based, uh, may may I say, an opinion based on ignorance? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. You simply don't know because, let's be honest, most reviewers are white. Yeah. There you go. So the perception, it's your it's your perception, what you're seeing. But um, it was, I'm, I'm proud to be a part of that show. Definitely. It was one of the highlights of my career. And I, when you get to me, and then I, I didn't even mention the amazing triple threat of Andre DeShields. And if I'm, if you're going to, every time I say his name, I, I feel like I have to go Andre DeShields <laughs> because you know, Andre talks, he's, yes. That's just how he talks. How he talks. So, and meeting him, I was a, a little taken aback because I, you know, I'd heard about him. I'd seen him and. You know, I knew who he was, and he's just so warm, and but very serious about mm-hmm. his craft. Very sure. serious about his craft. And I learned a lot from him by watching him, talking to him. Not only is he an amazing performer, but he's very, very educated in the union part of what we do. Oh, wow. He's the one that hit me to all of, you know, as a, as a union member, you need to be plugged into this and you need to know about this. So he's not, he just, he's not out there singing and acting. He does the work behind the scenes. He's a businessman well. too. He's a businessman too. And he, he definitely is all about educate yourself on, you know, the things that you need to know about your union, the do's and don'ts. That's so beautiful. I, I love, yeah, I love him. And I just feel blessed to work with him and also Tanya Pinkins. Okay, so this is what I want people to know. One of the many things I want people to know after listening to this episode. Andre DeShields was a legend before Hadestown. Yes. Yes. Everybody was like, where has, who is this person? We all knew who this person was. Yes. And one of his big roles was in Play On. He was nominated for a Tony Award for it. Mm -hmm. Tanya Pinkins 
was a legend before Carolina change. That's true. Got a Tony nomination for this show. Yeah. So that whole stage was just populated by legends, in my opinion. Right. And and it was for me, it was huge because here I am working with these amazing and talented, smart, giving because mm. some actors aren't giving, giving <laughs> <laughs> actors, performers. I soaked it all up. I, I tell young people all the time, you know, you need to, you, you got to soak up everything. Listen. Open those ears. Open those ears. Ask questions. Come ready. Do your homework. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you said that. Yeah, Andre was, I mean, he was, you can't mention the Wiz without mentioning Andre DeShields. Andre DeShields is the Wiz. Yeah, he's the Wiz. <laughs> he is the Wiz. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so I want to share with you how I came to know Play On. At this point, um, I am a teenager living in a small farm town in northern Utah. <laughs> and we had a dial-up internet. And what would usually happen is I would, you know, dial-up to the internet. And I'd go to playbill.com. Mm-hmm. I would go make myself a sandwich because that's how long it would take to load. And then I would come back and I would read one story. And usually the click that I would choose was upcoming cast albums because that was something that I could actively participate where I was. And I saw that the cast album for Play On was coming out. So I added it to my Christmas list. And God bless my parents because they're amazing people. They got me the cast album of Play On for Christmas. So... I'm listening to it, and I mean, I know some of the songs. I know it don't mean a thing if you ain't got that swing. Right. But honestly, I was not aware of the catalog of Duke Ellington songs. And this show is responsible for my introduction to the Duke. Mm-hmm. And Play On was something that didn't leave my stereo for many, many, many months. I loved it so, so much. So I wanted to do this show so that we could talk about Duke Ellington and introduce him to anybody who might not know him. Duke Ellington, probably one of the most formidable forces in all of American Western music. He was the king of big band and swing Mm -hmm. in the 1930s, Mm -hmm. had his own orchestra. He was not only a band leader, but he also created his own compositions that crossed over into the American songbook. So his footprint is huge in terms of Western music. In doing a little bit of research about him, one of the things that made his musical sound so interesting was that he very specifically picked individual artists to make up his band. Some of the greatest jazz players ever were in his orchestra. Mm -hmm. And therefore, his compositions and arrangements allowed for those individuals to be spotlighted and used in a way that really elevated the sound to something that had never been heard before. Now, the really beautiful thing is, that's what Play On was as well. Yes. It was an opportunity to let you all shine like the stars that you are and I think really elevate musical theater to a, a place that not only introduces us to this the tradition and music of the past, it's a really beautiful marriage of the past and the present. Well, first of all, you did your homework. <laughs> I was hanging on you every word. I was like, I felt like I was in class. And I, I was like, wait, no, you, everything you said is absolutely correct. And I was just looking at the songs that were in the show because mm-hmm. I mean I had my favorites and of course one that I sung on it don't mean a thing um no his music was it was incredible and you're absolutely right his band you could pretty much everyone in his band was a solo artist in their own right they they went out and became a solo artist did great music as well yeah I really think if we were doing this show now this would be a good time to do this show. I, I mean, I've spoken to Sheldon about it a couple of times over the years, and um, I don't know what the if there's something that we, reason we can't do it. But anyway, I always said this: we should do it again because I feel like the timing to, is, to is truly really, celebrate 
black yeah. artistry in this way in it this feels way. incredibly relevant and it was education and you're not the only one i mean we we had audience members who were like i didn't know they if they either they did not know like yourself and usually it was a younger person who may not mm-hmm. be well versed in duke ellington but there were also people who were but did not know he wrote certain songs like, like sure oh, man. they're like he wrote this one too? he wrote this one too exactly yeah, 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 so it's yeah. a, it's an education too especially when we had um you know we, they always do the student days when the yes. students come in one of my i always favorites. i love those yeah i always love those shows because just to watch these these young people it's like a light bulb moment for mm-hmm. them because you never know. And I know they're, <laughs> you know how when it's in school and you just want to, you're just happy to go any place because you're out of class. That's not you school. Don't re- yeah, it's not school. <laughs> so you don't really care. Like, I'm going to see this musical. I don't know what it is. But <laughs> but when they tell you that and they go, wow, I didn't really know what was coming. I was really da 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 And they start asking questions. Then you know you have, you've hit the mark. Mm. And that's what I think this show did. It was an education. It was entertaining. It was funny, um, and it it actually hit on things. You know, a woman not being able to really do the music the way she wanted to do because she was a woman. You yeah. know, and it's a, and a cute story too. Like it is. That's it's the really other thing. Sweet. It's a really cute cute story with it. And I, I didn't mention Larry Marshall, who I did the show with. Larry Marshall, another. He Amazing. has done more Broadway shows always than working. almost anyone always I've working. ever heard of. Always working. And, and he, was, he was your man. He was, he was my opposite. man, yes. And he was the best. I mean, seriously, there, he and Clinton Derricks and his oh. brother Cleavon, I both work with them. They're yeah. twins. I, I never, didn't know and, that. Oh, my gosh. Yes. I think I maybe I just had a breakthrough moment. I think I thought they were the same person. No. And for a minute, it, it took me a minute to, to really know who, you know, like I would get a job and they go, oh, Clinton's going to play your, your opposite. And I'm like, Clinton, and I'd have yeah, to go through my one? head. Yeah, which one is that? Because yeah, they <laughs> literally are identical. But I said that. I, I named the three of them because they're just so wonderful to work with. Aww. They're just so wonderful to work with. Larry keeps you laughing, mm. you know, and so does Cleavon and Clinton. Well, the the unfair thing about all of this is that you guys came back to Pasadena and filmed Play On for great performances for PBS. And with the exception of two numbers on YouTube, I can't find it at all. Really? No. And if you know... You mean By you can't find the PBS special? Yeah, I can't find the PBS. I can't it find it anywhere. It was on for a while, and I, and I wished I, I should have taped it, and I may have. It may be, because that was... Around the VHS, it wasn't DVR then, right, 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 right. which would have been great because you can keep up. Just keep, save that, save as it, long save it as long as you cable. need it. But video, I mean, it's there at the library, you know, oh, where they it? keep it. Yes. Oh, it's at the uh, in, New York. in New York. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah of course, mm-hmm. I, you know, I was like the LA go. Library. No, I would. I <laughs> know <laughs> <laughs> I'd be, I'd run down there. No, it's in the New York uh, library. So. Okay. Uh, let's go briefly through it and talk some about some of the numbers. If uh, there are any that are your favorites, shout them on out. Okay. So like we say, Vi comes to New York looking for Harlem because that's where all of the music is. And the ensemble tells her, which is a very hardworking ensemble to be doing all of that incredibly athletic Mercedes Ellington choreography. Uh, they tell her that she must take the what? The A train, yes, That's that was right. a, that number. Woo, yeah, we, she whipped us in the shape for that. I was out of breath after that number. <laughs> like, I need to go get some water. And Vi sings uh, "Drop Me Off in Harlem," Drop which Harlem. what a great song. It is. Now, one thing that I didn't realize: Duke Ellington wrote all of the music. He usually paired himself with different uh, lyricists, so. All of the, these songs have lyrics by various people. But one of the lyrics that really sticks out to me and dropped me off in Harlem that feels different to me in, you know, 2021 is, I don't want your Dixie, you can have your Dixie. Mm-hmm. Did you get the, the ra- reference? Yeah, like the racial undertones of all yeah. of that never came up until now. And this thing was mm-hmm. written in the 1930s. Mm-hmm. How am, How was I so blind? Well, you know, a lot of... There was a mass exodus from the South to the North. Right. For obvious reasons. For obvious reasons. So, of course, he would be able to talk about that. Exactly. And put that in there. And I don't know if someone, 
of this generation would even understand that. That's very keen of you because that's exactly what that meant. I don't want it. I love when these types of things are in songs that have become standards. Mm-hmm. I'm sure a lot of white people listened to that and didn't think twice. Well, you know what's interesting? They they sat in that cotton club and all those clubs and heard that song and probably maybe they understood it. But, you know, it's 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 in the song. Isn't he great? You know, right, right. Not feeling or not getting that light bulb. Now, you mentioned the cotton club. That's where Vi goes, you know, mm-hmm. the, the famous Con Club. Con Club. Mm-hmm. What do you understand the Con Club to have been in, in that time? I mean, it was very segregated, but it was a place for musicians to, you know, play, to get known. I mean, singers did perform there. I, I know if you were of a certain hue, a color, mm-hmm. you weren't allowed or they didn't have you there. You know, lighter skinned like, women. Like if you were too... Talk too dark is that you were too yeah Mm -hmm. really Mm -hmm. i mean you'd be a musician but as far as a singer and um it it was like i said segregated so there were black audiences white audiences mainly white audiences was this like a gentrified kind of version of black entertainment and art well i mean this was still during you know the jim crow time so they weren't really doing a lot of black audiences these were predominantly white on audiences there were there were clubs though that had you know black clubs that we could go to just for ourselves, but the Cotton Club, no, not so much. Interesting. So Vi goes, like I said, to the Cotton Club. She meets her uncle Jester, who was played by. Go ahead and say Andre De Shields in the way that he deserves. Andre De Shields. <laughs> Let me just say too. I'm gonna sorry. I need to interrupt. No, please, 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 please. But all of these celebrity musicians played at the cotton club do you know what i mean like mm-hmm. that's what i'm I'm always so i mean we're talking billy holiday fletcher henderson duke ellington even oh bessie smith oh wow like yeah there there were there were quite a few but we were just not allowed to be patrons there which was kind of crazy in Cab Calloway. We can't forget Cab Calloway. Cab Calloway. His influence is all over the place in this Lena musical. Horn. Miss Lena. Um, and it was in the Midtown, Manhattan. Okay. Yeah. So a little bit outside of Harlem. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. But it was a hot spot. So I'm sorry. Go. You no, no, saying... no. You're No, you're fine. So Uncle Jester tells Vi, look, doll, you may be an amazing composer, but there's no way you're going to be able to do it as a woman. But if mm-hmm. I can make you into a man or at least dress you up like one, maybe you'll get your shot. So that's what he does. He gives her a makeover. We love a makeover we in a love musical. A, we love a good makeover. <laughs> we love a good makeover. Vi becomes Vi Man. Mm-hmm. And Vi Man goes to see the most famous composer who who's performing at the club, uh, named Duke. Yes. You see where this is going, people, right? <laughs> um, and Duke is heartbroken because he is in love with Lady Liv, the famous singer at the club. Right. Why is he so sad about her? Or is it just kind of an unrequited well, he's love? Fine. He, yeah, it's an unrequited love. Got it. Yeah. They, they never had, the, as we would say, the hookup. But he, he was in his feelings mm. about her. Yeah. <laughs> got the vapors. He got the vapors. <laughs> so the plan gets hatched that Vimin, Vi, is going to go to the club and play a song for Lady Liv, and she's, and oh, see, now the pronouns start getting confusing. <laughs> and Vi is going to say that the song is from Duke, specifically for Lady Liv, so that she starts loving him. Right. So Vi goes to the club, she sees Lady Liv sing Mood Indigo. Mmm, mmm, that song. Beautiful. That song, yeah. And then plays Don't Get Around Much Anymore. A mm-hmm. great Duke Ellington song for Lady Liv. Now, the problem is that it, in the true Twelfth Night fashion, when she plays the song for Lady Liv, Lady Liv falls in love with Vi, not Duke. Right. Now, in the meantime, you have the people who work there. Mm-hmm. Uncle Jester, who we've already discussed. Right. Miss Mary. That's me, Miss Mary, <laughs> who would and, be her dresser, seamstress, tail, you know, all of that. Oh, okay. Yeah. For Lady Liv. You're, for Lady you're Liv. Working, mm-hmm. working for her. Mm-hmm. And then Sweets, 
who yep, is with my boyfriend. Is your boyfriend, and what does he do at the club? Sweets did just a does bunch he do of anything? Stuff. Yeah, I know. Sweets <laughs> Sweets actually was. Um, I think he like kind of ran the club a little, you know. Okay, kind of like a house bit. manager. Yeah, yeah the house manager. Yeah, that's what we like to think of the sweets. Yes, sweet. And they are really annoyed by the owner of the club, who's named Rev. Rev, played by the <laughs> wonderful Lawrence Hamilton. Yes. And Rev is a total stick in the mud. He's very strict. He's very serious. He's also in love with Lady Liv, mm-hmm. uh, but can't express it. And so. <laughs> Miss Mary decides to have some fun with Rev and tells him, you know, the problem, the problem, the reason that you're not getting in with Lady Love is because you're too serious. You need to learn how to sing some jazz. Yeah. And how to be cool. Yeah. How to, how to be and cool. And how to relax. Thank he was, you. Because he was very stuck up. <laughs> that brings you three to sing It Don't Mean a Thing. And you teach everybody how to scat. <laughs> now this is one of your true talents yes. so can you please tell us what the secret is to scatting in jazz music no <laughs> you, and I only say no because people have literally asked me can you teach me how to scat and it's an improvisation mm. and I mean there are improvisational classes for people to take in playing um, you know piano and and even singing but I liken it to like when I used to watch um Gregory Hines tap who mm-hmm. I just love come on it's a rhythmic thing that that's happening and he, everything is within that measure that beat but it's a feeling does that make sense yeah so You're composing in in my right I'm going but I'm but I'm making sure that I'm staying within the melody I'm making sure that I'm staying within the framework of the song although the queen of scatting Miss Ella Fitzgerald who I adore um she was able to combine like go outside and uh, of the song and like bring another song but it's seriously it's just and I I remember being at school I went to Berkeley College of Music in Boston and shout I remember, out. Sh- shout out to my alma mater, um, <laughs> just being in a, a, a rehearsal with some, some students and we were practicing. And I don't know, I just started doing it and they were like, you can, do-. but I, I was, just did it. You I wasn't thinking about, it. yeah. And I didn't even know that I really could do this. Do you wow. know what I mean? Like, so I, I kind of found out something about myself. Uh, I just realized at that time. And then I just really started listening. Even now when I'm in the car and I'm listening to music, I'll just start scatting to things because that's really what it is. And um, can I just like be in your backseat? You can. Like a creepy. Like a creepy guy. Like creepy just, stalker. Just, 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 but, but all I want to do is listen to you. <laughs> It's like, who's the little white guy in the backseat? Yeah. Oh, he's just the guy that rides around. And just with the boom mic. Sk- yeah, with the boom <laughs> mic, just scatting. But it really is, I, I feel like it, it's such a gift, and I don't take it lightly. Um, so when Sheldon said, this is something, use this, this is your moment, I was like, okay. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah, we came up with that in um, rehearsal. He said, no, I want you to teach him to scat. It's so That's it's such cool. a great moment in the entire show. And the way that you guys recorded it on the cast album is you get such a great idea for the scene in terms of teaching and you try to start out basic, but then like you just, just can't yeah. help yourself. I get into my own. Yeah, I just get into, you know, it's like mm, I'm in it now. Like It's like getting the feeling, getting, you know, um, it's church. You yeah, know, yeah, you're the Holy the Ghost. Yeah, feeling the spirit. They get the Holy Ghost, and you just you just lose it, and that's what <laughs> happened. And that's actually what Sheldon wanted. You know, he said just give him the basics, but then you, being Miss Mary, you just lose it, and you just go into your own. And it was so much fun to do. That's so wonderful. I love this idea of improv, which I think is in, in many ways one of the things that makes jazz so special, mm. because you have to have the natural talent. You have to have the ear to understand mm-hmm. like what the melody is, what key you're in. But then you also have to have the freedom to let go and just play and not judge. And what a beautiful principle to be that can be applied all throughout your life. Right. Be tuned in, but then don't be judge it. In. Exactly. Be tuned in and then just kind of... And that's what's the beauty of jazz because they were able to express themselves without being just in this 
box staying mm-hmm. like i said you staying within the song but being creative in your own way and um and being able to come back because you got to come back to <laughs> it's eventually point, you got to eventually back. come reel it in reel it in um and that's the brilliance of ella fitzgerald like she's the queen of it man i, I i've listened to her and i i mean i have gone over i i actually played her in a in a mute called ella fitzgerald the musical and one of the things i did when i was studying really studying her I would just listen over and over and over and over and over and there were some things that they just can't be duplicated like no matter how much I slowed it down or how I listened to it because it's just her thing like I have my thing and you Mm -hmm. have your everybody so the scat's never gonna be the same and that's why people just usually do a a basic scooby dooby dooby (laughs) ba-da-ba-doo-bop ba-dee-ba-dee-ba-doo-bop bit you know, so that's a basic scat, but you can get into a little more, you know. It's like a fingerprint in a way. It's exactly. your own little. It's like your DNA. It's mm-hmm. like your own scat DNA. Wow. That's, think, so, that's so cool. Yeah, that's that's the way I look at it. That's beautiful. All right. So by the end of the song, Rev figures out at least how to uh, create harmony with you three. And you send him on his merry way. That is right. The love triangle gets even more complex, of course, because Lady Liv is in love with Vi. Vi falls in love with Duke. Duke is still in love with Lady Liv. They sing I Got It Bad and That Ain't Good, another great song. They sing Hit Me With a Hot Note and Watch Me Bounce. Like, from here on out, and correct me if I'm wrong, that's kind of the whole plot of the show. The rest of it is just about how we get back with the people that we need to be with. That is exactly it. But along the way... We have all of these numbers. Mm-hmm. I'm just a lucky so-and-so for Andre De Shields. Love it. Solitude, which is this gorgeous quartet for Vi Duke, Lady Liv, and Rev. Yeah, that, that was a, a really wonderful moment in the show. It really... And it, the end of the first act, too. Yep. Mm-hmm. The second act has what I believe is the definition of Torch Song. I Ain't Got Nothing But The nothing Blues. But the Blues, yeah. Um, Rev comes back out now in Twelfth Night is it Malvolio comes out Uh dressed in the yellow stockings and suspenders Uh right to try and show that he's fun (laughs) and in Play On Rev comes out in a full bright yellow zoot suit looking cooler than Malvolio should ever Uh (laughs) but he sings I'm beginning to see the light another great great that was a great number too Vicings, I didn't know about you. Now we just start getting into, I mean, showstopper after showstopper. Rocks in my bed. That's the showstopper for me. Yeah. Every so, time I, I would stand in the wings to watch um, Larry and Andre. It was my husband. Every time he saw the show, and he saw it a lot, he he said that was his favorite number. He just loved, and and it is. It's because it's just two guys. Kicking it, drinking, and it would just go on and on. And they were having so much fun. So that was one of my favorite moments in the show to watch, for me to watch. And it's all born out of the fact that he's in trouble with you, the, mm-hmm. the your yeah. man Swedes. Yep. Is he uh, flirting with like the coat check girl, Cece, or something like that? Is that is that why Miss yes. Mary gets mad? Yes, you you're good because I had to go back and think about. It. I was like, why was I mad at him? That was it. <laughs> yes. And but he so, was always up to something. Didn't take sure, much. Sure, she loved him. No, she didn't care. You know. So Sweets and Jester do this this great song about how they ain't got nothing in their bed but rocks. Yep. Great song. It has a. It even has its own encore, which you know it's a showstopper when it's got its own. I call encore. it the. I, I love. I call. We used to call it the James Brown moment. You know how he goes off and then he comes back on comes back with on. the coat. Yeah, that was the James <laughs> Brown moment. That's amazing. Sweets and Miss Mary uh, have an opportunity to reconnect even after that, and they sing such a sweet song, Love You Madly. Love you, love you madly. Yeah, that was cute. It was a cute song. It's such a cute song. Another great little thing in the cast album for for that song, of course, Miss Mary's mad at at Sweets, and you say something like, now you know the only reason I'm going with you is because I can't get a cab. And... (laughs) (laughs) which is a really funny line but once again also talks somewhat to i think the black experience of being in harlem how do you get a cat being a woman absolutely yeah that speaks to that yeah the whole sexism yeah too i love i love the show because it is so fun so energetic but has all of these little things that that when you Mm -hmm. look a little closer 
are saying something. And that and that's into the brilliance of Cheryl because she wrote the book. Now Cheryl L. West, who, like you said, wrote the book, is someone who you've collaborated with on uh, several times, right? Didn't she do the Shout she Sister did Shout? She did Shout Sister Shout. And who did you play in that one? You played- Rosetta Stone's mother and yes. Mahalia Jackson. Mahalia. So to- yes. Oh yes. man. Yeah, that was really a lot of fun too. I actually like playing people, real life people. I real mean, life it's, people. it's a challenge, but it's because you can't, you'll never be that person. But if you can bring the essence of that that person, mm-hmm. then I feel like you've done your job. And it required, you know, me padding a little bit because Mahalia was a, a heavier set woman and kind of lowering my voice because when she sang. So my yeah. singing voice was different. And I like those challenges. We have such a rich history of incredible black artists. That- yes. Yes. that need to be celebrated. That's so cool. I'm glad that you've had such Thank wonderful you. opportunities yeah. to do I, that. And I, I am too. You know, when I did Ella, every night I would just, I'd had her picture there and I'd sort of speak to her because I needed her to channel. Yeah. I had to channel her. I need you. Yeah, I need you. And I just <laughs> wanted to make her proud and, you know, for people when they leave to celebrate her, to celebrate her in the way that she should be celebrated as every character that we do in that Deserves. way. I think you're going to get to my other song that I absolutely what is, love. What is the other one? Something to Live For that he wrote, Duke Ellington wrote with Billy Strayhorn. Oh, talk, talk to me about that one. Where does that come in the show? That's in the second act. That was sung by Lady Liv. Really? Because I didn't make it on the cast album. I don't think so, no. But um, oh, And man. I love that song because I actually sang it with Ella. It was one of the songs that I got to sing. And it just happens to be one of my, just a favorite song that I really? sing anyway in my I repertoire. I don't know that one at all. I'm going to okay, have to look go, it up. Yes, go look that one up. Yeah, Billy Strayhorn. Um, you know who he is, right? Yeah, yeah, was, of course. Yeah, the ther- lyricist that Duke Ellington worked with. And it's, one, it's a beautiful song. Oh. Yep. Now, in Twelfth Night, there's like the whole thing with the twin brother, and then there's like mm-hmm. a whole duel. That doesn't really happen in Play On. So what ends up happening is, uh, of course, there's that famous Duke Ellington song, Prelude to a Kiss, right. in which Vi, before she's decided she's going to leave because there's all of this drama with Lady Liv and Rev and et cetera, et cetera. So she's going to leave, but before she leaves... She is going to play the song for Duke and ask for his help to finish the lyric. So she starts playing this the song, and he's the one who thinks of it. And the reason he thinks of it is because he realizes this whole song is the prelude to their kiss. Mm-hmm. Everyone's identities are revealed. Who ends up with who? We got Duke ending up with Vi. Vi, right. We have Lady Liv ending up with Rev. Is that true? They do end up. They yeah. end up together. Yeah, yes, we got yes. Miss Marion Sweets, Mary of course. Sweets, yes. And then um, Jester ended up with his girlfriend. She was like Cece, yeah. The Coke yeah, girl. The, yeah, now, what's really girl. fun about that character is that he's probably the most quote unquote Shakespearean out of everyone because he's t- talking in this jive type prose right, that right. almost sounds like Shakespearean, Shakespearean verse. Mm-hmm. And so he is the one who delivers. Of course, the ending speech of if music is the food of life, then let us play on. Play on, yeah. The whole show ends with in a mellow tone. The big number, yes. But once again, you've got Luther Henderson, who's arranging and orchestrating. So he was able to craft these songs, I think, in a, in a specific way for the musical. So even the end of the whole show, it just keeps repeating, play on, play on, play on. Play on yeah. Oh my gosh, it's so joyful. I, it, every oh, time I'm I so listen to this cast album. That. Yeah, I'm really glad you enjoyed because it. it was such a fun show. It was hard to even believe that it didn't run longer because mm-hmm. it was so different than anything else, you know, on Broadway at that time. And being in New York, Harlem, like literally, you know, up the road. Of course. We just felt like, oh, this is, this can't lose. No brainer. um, Yeah, it was definitely um, disappointing. But I find it has a, it has a life. You, hello, you know, my manager, who is my manager now, when he met me, he was like, I loved Play On. Like he talked about, (laughs) like you talk about Play On. I had no idea. And, And so there are people that loved it. They love it. They still love it. Yeah. There's and a, you were, let me see, when that happened, how old were you? Because that was, was 1997. Like, yeah, so I was like 15. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. The baby. Yeah. The baby. I had, like, I had a Christmas list. <laughs> yeah. Thank goodness. What are your parents' names? Doug and Carla. 
Doug, thank you, Doug and Carla, for getting the best. that little baby boy his Christmas <laughs> gift. <laughs> so silly, but it's true. And I, I am. I am so grateful for it because it opened my eyes to, to a whole area of music I didn't know. Now, the last thing I kind of want to talk about with the show is that jukebox musicals became a thing after Play mm-hmm. On. And in the early 80s, there was a show called Sophisticated Ladies. Right. <laughs> There's a rhyme. That was a review of Duke Ellington music, all told in kind of a big, glorious Follies Mm -hmm. meets Cotton Club sort of review. Mm -hmm. So here's my question. Would you rather see a jukebox musical, a catalog of songs strung together by a story, or would you rather see a review? Does it depend? It depends. Yeah. It really does. I mean, Sophisticated Ladies was really um, special. I just thought about the yeah because Gregory Hines was in that show. Mm-hmm. That that cast was insane. that cast was ridiculous. If you have a good book, I I'd do the uh, the jukebox musical. It also depends on for me on the catalog of songs, yes. you know, and the approach that you take to it. Mm-hmm. In mm-hmm. the case of Play On, I feel like you've got music that is so dynamic that I want it to be connected to choices and characters you know what i mean mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. they you can see how the story would elevate the music mm-hmm. do i feel yeah. that way about mamma mia i don't know but mm. that's kind of up to you know there are other people who love that show that show went on and on ran longer than I mean, play on it ran longer right and i was like <laughs> really really okay but, but you know that's... there's audience for everything and and the audience is going to be a certain demographic. Let's sure. not kid ourselves. Well, look, this show has enabled us to discuss a gorgeous tapestry of art in our country and our history. And I'm so grateful that you were a part of it. And I'm so grateful that you took the time to, to be with me today. So thank oh, I've you. I so Ivette enjoyed Kassan. it, Jeffrey. And, and um, thank you for choosing this song, especially during Black History Month, this show. It's one mm-hmm. near and dear to me. And you've certainly did your homework. You. <laughs> You evoked some well, you. memories. I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> I've <laughs> done so, so many glad. shows after that. I've had to. Oh, like, my gosh. I can't even imagine. Oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's right. That happened. Well, thank <laughs> you so much. I've enjoyed it. Thank you. As always, if you have recommendations for shows you'd like us to cover on a musical theater podcast, you can always email me at a musical podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on social media, Twitter and Instagram at a musical podcast for more great content. And while you're at it, head on over to our Tee Public store where we have great designs based on shows past and present. Yvette, how can we keep up to date with everything you're up to? Well, you can keep up to date with me. I am on social media. Um, I'm Instagram. I am Vet Yvette, V-E-T-E-V-E-T. And uh, Twitter at Yvette Kassan. And yes, I am still, as my son says, Facebook is for old people. But I am still on Facebook as <laughs> under Yvette Kassan. I don't know if any of your listeners are on Facebook. But I definitely IG and, and Twitter. And I'm on a podcast next week with uh, Angela Robinson, who I did play on with. You're kidding. How, yeah, what, what's pod- that? That's amazing. What podcast um, is Artist Artist Talks. Artist Talks. Beautiful. Talk. So we'll, um, we'll link that in the episode. Yes, details. please. And um, come check me out. I'd like that. And follow That's me. That's amazing. It's a worthy checkout in my estimations. Yes. My lowly estimations. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you again, Yvette. And to everybody out there. Play on. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Step into the world of power 
loyalty and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.